Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Gays Against Guns is an inclusive direct action group of LGBTQ plus people and allies committed to nonviolently breaking the gun industry's chain of death. Investors, gun manufacturers, the NRA, and politicians who block safer gun laws. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. We're your hosts. I'm Sarah Germain Lilly. So uh, today, let me tell you a little bit about our broadcast. This is a special broadcast that we prepared for you. It's our activism back to school edition. And Ty Kersley and myself are hosting. Ty should be right back on in a minute. And we are going to hear today from X Gonzalez of Parkland, Florida, Abby Clements of Newtown, Connecticut, and they are joining us with a report on their activism and what we can do to accelerate action against gun violence. But we want you to join us and support WBAI, Gays Against Guns, and Radio Gag. Next, we'll get an update on the gun violence news, but first, our in memoriam is Maricela Castro. Thank you to Libby Edwards. Maricela Castro was born in Honduras and spent much of her life in North Carolina before moving to Houston to be closer to family. Castro had been riding in a car with her killer when she got out of the car and was shot in the back. The shooter then got back into the car and drove away, abandoning the car several blocks from the scene. The police reported that no one was currently in custody for the shooting. Friends shared that Castro often sang songs by the Mexican-American artist Maricela, her namesake. Jorge Luis Lizardo, another friend, said that she had a bright and sunny demeanor, despite the discrimination she faced while working in construction as a trans woman. She was about to turn 40 at the end of August, and though she didn't usually celebrate her birthday, she wanted to celebrate this landmark. Lizardo helped her plan a party that would never come to fruition. Maricela Castro, 39 years old, July 29, 2022, Houston, Texas. We remember you. Well, thank you so much, Libby. We are working on getting Ty on. So, Ty, please just jump in whenever you can uh, here. We wanted to talk back a little bit about Maricela Castro because she's from Houston. And I was in Houston just a couple of weeks ago with the women's convention uh, just a few weeks after Maricela died. Uh, these kind of tragedies happen everywhere too often, but extremely frequently to transgender women. So Maricela, we want to remember you today, all the beauty and joy that you bring to us. And we're going to make a transition now to our gun violence prevention news. So we wanted to bring you some news today that is local. 
And we are talking about the shooting at Coney Island. One person was killed and four others injured in a shooting on the iconic Coney Island boardwalk just before midnight on Saturday, August 27th. NYPD officials said that a 42-year-old man was shot in the back after gunfire rang out at West 29th Street near the western end of the Regalman boardwalk in Brooklyn. He was later pronounced dead. The other four, two men and two women, are expected to recover and were being treated at New York Langone Hospital in stable condition, according to officials. The ages of those injured range from 34 to 49 years old. It was unclear what led to the 11.57 p.m. shooting, and no arrests have been made. NYPD's investigation into the shooting is ongoing. Ty, we heard from Paul Rowley that he was on the boardwalk on Sunday morning filming. filming. So gun violence in our favorite places to have fun and to get some relief. Right. I can't. Um, yeah, the, the distraction, it must give you one when you find out there's gun bonds, you know, somewhere nearby. But then uh, at a place like that where, you know, you're just kind of letting loose and enjoying yourself to, to then be suddenly, um, you know, terrified for your life um, is, is basically something that happens daily, constantly somewhere in America. But, yes, yeah, just recently uh, right here. Yeah. And there's a lot of finger pointing going on, uh, and we're going to hear some in our next story. So yeah, um, I you have, go ahead um, with that. Yeah. Amid a congressional investigation into gun manufacturers after a back-to-back mass shootings this spring, Smith & Wesson CEO Mark Smith released a defiant statement criticizing politicians and the news media as at fault for violent crime. In the statement posted Monday on Twitter, CEO Mark Smith accused a number of politicians and their lobbying partners in the media of trying to disparage his company and shift blame to gun makers. Smith, who refused to testify before the House Oversight Committee, said politicians had vilified, undermined, and defunded law enforcement and generally promoted a culture of lawlessness, causing a wave of crime. They are the ones to blame for the surge in violence and lawlessness, Smith wrote. The House Oversight Committee probe into gun manufacturers began in late May after mass shootings at Buffalo Grocery Store and a Uvalde, Texas elementary school, which left 31 dead in less than two weeks. Uh, Representative Carolyn Maloney, um, the panel's chairwoman, contacted five companies seeking information about the manufacturing sale and marketing of AR-15 style weapons used in the two incidences. Each gun used in the shootings was purchased legally. Yes. So here we have the gun manufacturer, the CEO, saying that politicians are to blame for defunding the police and promoting lawlessness. I mean, he had the the choice to um, point at criminals. Um, but it's not criminals, it's not the gun lobby, not manufacturers of deadly weapons who are profiting from this, but now it's lawmakers that were, that they're going to blame, which is, was, it's, you know, ironic that that's who they have in their pocket, um, most of the time. Yeah. And, you know, of course, it's not the white supremacists and it's not the Nazis who plan these crimes, uh, purchase weapons easily domestic terrorists who then go out and target our communities. Yeah. 
We also so, have a report back on um, the running back that was shot. Go ahead. Go for it. Um, police have released images of the suspected individuals who shot commanders running back Brian Robinson. Robinson, a rookie, selected in the third round of the 22, 22 NFL draft, was shot multiple times Sunday evening as part of an attempted robbery. He was rushed to a local hospital and is in good spirits, according to Washington's head coach, Ron Rivera. Robinson posted on Instagram on Monday that a surgery went well. Images of the two suspects were captured by a nearby surveillance camera, along with photos of the car they were last seen in. The car the suspects fled in has been recovered, along with a gun. So I checked out this neighborhood where the stadium is. It's in northeast Summerfield, Maryland, and crime grade dot org gives the stadium location a rating of D plus, meaning that 74% of communities are safer and report less violent crime than Summerfield. The crime in Summerfield is concentrated in the northeast section. So bad neighborhood. And just before our broadcast, you heard on the news that the police were advising people to stay in lighted areas, etc., etc. But honest to goodness, I thought that a body like Brian Robinson would protect me from being a potential victim of robbery. I guess not. No, it's it's the planners and the, and the mayor's fault, right? Yeah, the planners and the mayor's fault. But here on Radio Gag, we are going to look at the gun manufacturers and exactly what they're doing to keep on making profits. Now, if we had regulations that controlled where the guns go after they leave the factory, we wouldn't be having these problems on our streets. So, uh, Let's check in on another state that has even higher gun violence uh, rate, which is Missouri. In Jennings, Missouri, a shooting near Jennings Junior and Senior High Schools briefly put the campuses on lockdown Monday morning. No Jennings students were injured in the incident. Uh, St. Louis County Police and Jennings officers were called to the 880 block of Cozens Avenue just after 7 a.m. They found two people with gunshot wounds near the intersection of Shannon Avenue and Brooklyn Drive, Brookfield Drive. Two other victims were found nearby. All of the victims were taken to St. Louis area hospitals to be treated for non-life-threatening injuries. Jennings Senior High School was put on lockdown for about 15 to 20 minutes right before and after classes started at 8 a.m. School District Superintendent Dr. Paula Knight said the schools do not have buses and many students walk to school. There was a concern for the safety of the students who were walking in the wake of the shooting. Knight said there will be extra security on hand when students are released Monday afternoon as a precaution. Now, Missouri gun laws are some of the weakest in the country. Missouri has no law uh, requiring background checks on unlicensed gun sales. The state law also allows people to carry hidden, loaded handguns in public without a permit or safety training. Missouri has no laws prohibiting domestic abusers from possessing guns either. Shaking my head on Missouri. Oh, that's what that meant. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Next up, we hear from a special teacher, Abby Clements, who knows what it's like to live through a mass shooting in her workplace.
Adam Lanza opened fire at the Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut, killing 20 children and six adults. Some of the teachers are beginning to tell stories of what they heard and saw that day and trying to make certain that what happened in Newtown won't happen elsewhere. It, something like this rips you to your core. And we came back to school ripped to shreds, but we came back right. to do the best we could with these kids who we loved and we got lucky enough to survive with. United States. You just heard a clip from CBS News that was in 2014, just two years after the Sandy Hook murders in 2012. Good afternoon, listeners. I have the privilege to be here with Abby Clements. She's a fourth grade teacher in Newtown, Connecticut, and also a survivor of Sandy Hook. So how's it going? Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I'm approaching my 31st year of teaching, which is uh, quite difficult to <laughs> reckon with. Um, but it's also kind of a heavy time as we enter um, close to the 10-year mark of the tragedy um, in, in Newtown. And every year in the fall, you can, as soon as the weather changes, you can kind of feel it in the air that the time is approaching. And I think the heaviness of it being this 10 year mark, um, it, it, it's even more so kind of like a looming feeling. Um, but my students who, um, I had that year who were my second graders are actually graduating high school this year. Uh, so they're high school seniors and I have the absolute pre pleasure and honor to um, have a very close relationship with a handful of them. And the way that I'm going to move into December is to think about them and to think about what the strengths that they have coming in to college or whatever they choose to do, having gone through a very difficult thing and it continues to be, you know, a part of your, their lives and probably always will be. Um, so that's the way I'm going to, what I'm going, planning on focusing on as, as we get closer. Thank you. Now, in light of recent gun legislation, and the Scottish decision on states' rights to regulate guns. What are you feeling generally about this going forward in terms of us making a change in the gun culture in America? Well, I mean, obviously we, we see now what the disconnect between SCOTUS and the majority of Americans, whether it's uh, or women's right to choose or guns everywhere, um, which is clearly the way that um, they would like things. Um, it, it's disturbing and dangerous. And there's a, uh, I, I, I think, um, emboldenedness 
now among like white supremacists and those on the extreme right. I mean, I, I would never even venture into the dark web to see what they're really talking about on a daily basis. But, um, but it, but it's frightening. And I just think there, that it is imperative that every American is, a, it stays up on this issue. And when it comes to, to, you know, an opportunity to vote, to just give enough time to make sure you're still registered, you, you know, everything is up, up to date, um, and that you really vet the candidates and figure out their stance. I mean, if you think about the trajectory of these 10 years since the tragedy of Sandy Hook, one thing is very different, and that is that everyone running for office has to be transparent on this issue of where they stand on gun safety. And that's easy to find. It used to be that you had to kind of dig. You might even have to email and ask because they didn't want to put it out there. Um, because as we see, it can happen anywhere. And the emboldenedness and the easy access to guns um, is scary. I mean, I, pr I praise President Biden for the efforts that he has made um, with the Safer Communities Act. And I feel like um, you know, we still have to be up on a state in, in individual states to make sure that the funds are going into communities that need them and to intervention programs that, that are promised money. Um, but so I have hope. Um, I think we have a lot, a lot to do moving forward. If Democrats keep the House and the Senate, um, expand our representation on the Senate so that moving forward, you know, we can keep these dangerous decisions from from happening and from affecting our lives so much. Great. Thank you. Now, tell us about Teachers Unify to End Gun Violence. So after the tragedy in Oxford, Michigan, at Oxford High School at the end of November 2021, um, two friends uh, and I were, were chatting uh, in a group chat and they're both high school teachers. One of them is a survivor of the Parkland tragedy. The other is a, a U.S. history teacher and an activist extraordinaire. And we were in disbelief, so upset, enraged, just, it's like this hamster wheel. It just keeps happening over and over and we just could not handle the fear and the just outrage that we were fearing, feeling. And so we, and we were talking about how you rarely hear from the teachers after these tragedies and, you know, we're the ones who are on the front lines and why isn't there already a gun violence prevention movement or a movement of teachers and school staff who are standing up on this issue and we were, and I just said, let's just do it ourselves. I said, you want to start a national organization? I think that was my um, actual question to them. And they just said, yes, they didn't skip a beat. And so we've been together for eight and a half months now. And uh, we just got our 501c3 status. Uh, we're very proud of our, um, 
the way that what we're building and how we're building it. And that is through one-on-one organizing with educators and school staff, asking the questions, what are you afraid of? Trying to find ways, modalities to where these narratives can come forward and, and be part of the public so that people can see and remember uh, that, you know, our our job, first and foremost, is to take care of kids. And it's really hard to do that with these weapons of war and the proliferation of guns and ammunition in our country. And it shouldn't be that way. And people are afraid to be in schools and communities. And we see it every day. But we, we decided that um, it, was, it was time to create something for educators and school staff by us. Yeah. Thank you. We were talking to Sandy Phillips. Yeah, whose daughter died in the movie theater shooting in Colorado. And she and her husband have been talking about these professional organizations coming forward. And I think this is just the greatest idea. And it's almost like automatically lobbying, because when you say you're a teacher and you're qualified and you've had experience with this issue, you have so much credibility. You know, a politician who can stand up and say, you know, oh, teachers should be armed in the classroom is not thinking is dangerous. That's like saying, you know, well, same thing. We shouldn't have doors on elementary schools. You know, give me a break. Uh, we've all done fire drills over and over again, you know. So it's wonderful that there's a professional organization now, Teachers Unified to End Gun Violence. And I urge everybody who's around the profession of teaching, works in schools, has children who go to school to look into this organization, to support it with your time and your treasures, because there's nothing more important than the safety of our children and the freedom to go to school and feel safe. All right. It should be a a safe and nurturing environment and we 100 percent believe that it, it is our job as a society if you're going to choose to have this easy access to guns everywhere in all places everywhere you go across state lines then you have to figure out ways to uh, keep children safe without compromising their feelings of safety and I'm not sure those two are are, are compatible, um, but arming teachers is is not the answer. And like you said very well, like it is dangerous and futile. We know that we've seen it. But the fact that upwards of 45% of the population thinks that arming teachers and staff might be a, is a good idea is terrifying. And there are like 34 states, I believe, at this point who either have implemented this, uh, having uh, armed staff or are poised to do so. That is just unfathomable and so dangerous. And, and it terrifies us at Teachers Unify. And it's something that we're actively working to find ways to show what it's like in a classroom and the busyness and kids just the active classes i don't understand who's making these decisions um about these you know life threatening you know enter in a weapon of war or a lethal weapon when there are little children wait wayside and they're sneaky and they're savvy and they're um 
active and we're doing 7,000 things at once. And um, so we're hoping that, you know, three educators who have over 70 years experience all together and who are union members and been in this profession for a long time can help uh, elevate the narratives of um, and the realities of the fear and the impact that gun violence has on classrooms across the United States. You just heard a clip from CBS News that was in 2014, just two years after the Sandy Hook murders in 2012. You're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM Free Speech Radio. This is Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun Show, with our special today, Activism, Back to School Edition. You can hear us on WBAI on Tuesdays at 2.30 p.m. or on your favorite podcast platform. And today we have a special gift when you become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag at the $15 level. We will send you as a thank you gift a two-book set with a copy of Grace Will Lead Us Home by Pulitzer Prize winning author Jennifer Barry Haas and a copy of Whose Right Is It? The Second Amendment and the Fight Over Guns by Hannah Baramovic. These books are a great gift for a teacher that would be welcome on the shelves of any school library. Please go to give to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950. And if you prefer, you can make a one-time donation of $60 and receive both books as a premium. Go to give to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950. So let's get back to uh, Abby Clements, Ty. Yes, the fourth grade teacher from Newtown, Connecticut, and survivor of the Sandy Hook mass shooting. What do you say that individuals and communities can do to promote gun safety in safer schools? I think this is on the minds of every parent sending their kids to school, grandparent, um, community member. They, No one wants anything to happen in, in their schools. I think it's important to find out what the safety plans are for the, the district and making sure that they are trauma-free themselves. We don't want to traumatize the actual population you're trying to keep from being traumatized by uh, with, you know, simulated deaths and uh, sort of this active terror uh, playing out in the hallways um, in, in enactments like that is unacceptable. Um, what are the drills like? Uh, what is the response plan? Uh, so these are things that to just ask. And what what is it like for students after the lockdown drill? Do they have some time to decompress? You know, what is what is the message that's being sent to children both um, overtly and and what's the subtext here? Uh, so all of those questions, I think, are really important. And that spills out then into your own workplace, you know, asking if there's something that you don't feel comfortable about, talk about it. And, you know, this used to be an issue that wasn't spoken in public. It was just something you didn't discuss. It was it it, it shouldn't be political. It, it shouldn't be polarizing. And when you can pare it down to just a conversation about safety and um, and well-being for for people in the workplace and buildings in, in different systems, then you'll really find more common ground than we think. 
as you were speaking, you made me think, um, you know, what would it be like if we were preparing kids for a fire drill and we showed them pictures of fires and burn victims and... <laughs> No, you want to be calm. You want to be orderly. You want to stick to the plan. Everybody takes a deep breath, no talking. Here's what we do. And then, you know, after it's done, you know, what questions do you have? How well did we do? Reflect. Exactly. Exactly. And the kids don't need to be going through all that. The educators need to know which doors, which, you know, where you go, what the plan is. Obviously, you, you know, you have your emergency backpack and uh so they need to know they can walk through it fine a few times a year if you want to but why should the kids have to endure that um they you know they can follow directions one time like you're saying in a very calm and order and then they you know the hope is that they would then do that during an emergency but you know the onus of this epidemic it, it should not be placed on the children it should not be placed on the people who are in charge of their safety and so people need to hear about what this is like for them and what it's like on a daily basis. So they remember how and to, to, to take care of people. How, how do we take care of each other? Not, not by allowing easy access to guns anywhere all over internet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to say that you've been thinking about? Um, Teachers Unify, your experience of teaching. Um, yeah, anything else? I just, I hope that educators out there, you know, <laughs> they are really in a situation that is very unique uh, with the c- continuing, you know, epidemic of. My heart goes out to educators everywhere starting this year. It's not an easy year. Um, you know, COVID is still here. We've got monkeypox. And although we'd like to pretend that these things are not uh, really impacting classrooms, I, I know the fear is there. Um, and then there's the micromanaging and the constant questioning about how, what you're teaching, how you're teaching, um, and the lack of trust that you're probably feeling and that we have as, as educators in light of these, this culture war, um, you know, add on top of that, the fear of gun violence. And so we see now what, what, what's happening that, that teachers are leaving the profession in droves, but those who are still here and those who've left, um, we are empowered together we are stronger together so find your people there are people actively working against all of these things and we're part of that so i hope everyone has a safe year thank you so much abby clemens teacher in newtown connecticut for being with us today Abby is one of the founders of Teachers Unify to End Gun Violence. You can find Teachers Unify to End Gun Violence on the internet and join us. I'm a member. (laughs) Abby's a founding member. Uh, Yep. And uh, we'll get some things done. Absolutely. Teachers get stuff done. Um, Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate talking to you today. So here we are, 
we have revisited Sandy Hook, one of the deadliest school shootings that happened in 2012 that did not lead to safe gun laws or to safer schools. So now on our activism, back to school edition, we are bringing you X Gonzalez, who we had the chance to see again just a few weeks ago at a party for Joaquin Oliver. Right. We had um, March for Our Lives, Change the Ref, Newtown. Every um, GVP group had one or two people represented, and we did uh, get some conversations in, with X Gonzalez, who was kind enough to join Radio Gag and talk to you and Libby earlier. So I'd love to get to that clip. Let's go. The people in the government who were voted into power are lying to us. And us kids seem to be the only ones who notice and are prepared to call BS. Companies trying to make caricatures of the teenagers nowadays, saying that all we are is self-involved and trend-obsessed, and they hush us into submissions when our message doesn't reach the ears of the nation, we are prepared to call BS. Politicians! Politicians who sit in their gilded house and senate seats funded by the NRA telling us nothing could have ever been done to prevent this. We call BS! We say that tough, they say that tougher gun laws do not decrease gun violence. We call BS! They say a good guy with a gun bad guy with a gun. We call BS. They say guns are just tools like knives and are as dangerous as cars. We call BS. No, they say that no laws could have been able to prevent the hundreds of senseless tragedies that have occurred. We call BS. That us kids don't know what we're talking about, that we're too young to understand how the government works. We call BS. If you agree, register to vote. Contact your local congresspeople and give them a piece of your mind. Welcome, listeners, to Radio Gag. This afternoon, we have the pleasure of being with ex Libby Edwards, and I am Sarah Lilly. So this is our activism back-to-school edition and we have the pleasure of speaking with X, uh, a gun violence prevention activist, student leader, and there from Parkland, Florida. Thank you so much, X, for being on our show. And we want to know what projects you're taking part in right now and where is your heart? Oh my gosh, thank you guys so much for having me. I love gag. I love, I love gag. Um, so as of right now, I, um, I recently graduated college, and um, in the last year, I was made to do a thesis, an undergraduate thesis, with everybody else in my uh, class, and my topic was focused on 51 children's films that my generation watched growing up that may or may not have politically impacted us. Say, for example, Shrek, and Robots, and uh, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, Rango, um, Movies from the 70s to 2012, all movies that I felt specifically related to uh, my generation's growing up and consuming of media. 
Um, and I analyzed the political themes within these films, as well as the um, gendered themes, which was incredibly interesting. And honestly, I, I had to squeeze a lot into the thesis and squeeze a lot out because it's an academic paper and your professors can only read so much. So I had to cut it down to about 120 pages. So now I am trying to flesh it out again and make it more into a book. Um, one that's a little bit less focused on the academic conversational tone and more on the average person conversational tone. But I still want it, obviously, to be useful to academics um, and useful in academic fields. So I'm very excited about that because I love movies. That's my favorite thing in the world is media consumption. <laughs> very, very cool. And I got to say, as a former English teacher, being able to edit your work and to cut it back and to still find the essence of what you want to say is so important. It's so difficult. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really impressive when you can actually get it done. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. One of the things we've, we've noticed is that young citizens have been rising up and becoming loud and innovative activists for change in the gun culture in America. And when March for Our Lives was active, it resulted in an historic voter turnout in 2018. And I'm wondering, do you see that same energy in young voters today? Yes, I do. Um, I think that Everybody is very concerned about their futures and uh, the, just the general state of the world as of right now, concerned about it all the time. There is never a moment, even when we're happy, never a moment that goes by that we don't think, will I still be alive in 10 years? Will the world still be working in 10 years? You know, just 10 years is just a, a, a conservative estimate. <laughs> um, and... I, I saw it a lot at school. I saw it a lot when I went around the country in 2018 with my coworkers in March for Our Lives on the Road to Change tour. And um, it's, it's impressive, in addition to depressing, how easily all of us are able to come to terms with the fact that the world is changing far more rapidly than, than, we, than it should be in our lifetimes. Um, it's impressive that we've come to terms with it and depressing, but the fact that we all kind of realized relatively quickly that it's not like this has to happen just because it is happening doesn't mean we can't try to stop it. And that's actually one of the reasons why I was interested in that topic for my thesis is because all these movies show people getting sick and tired of being sick and tired. <laughs> and, and they just, you know, they explode. They change their society. They do exactly what is needed. They do whatever they can to prevent problems from continuing to help people who are suffering and that was exactly the representation that i feel probably drives us today to make the changes that that we have been making um i've i've been uh, that's that was part of my thought process there tell us how how do you think the gun violence is affecting young queer people and the queer community yeah so um Gun violence and um, its effects is obviously a very sad conversation. Um, and it is especially sad, in my humble opinion, when it comes to queer youth, because there is queer youth, you know, is an incredibly marginalized part of the population. 
um, especially in public education systems or in education systems in general, when it comes to families, conservative families, religious families. Um, you know, I was the president of the Gay Straight Alliance in, in my high school, and I every um, club meeting, all the kids would just, instead of like, you know, we would talk about cool stuff, and I would make quiz cahoots and stuff for queer history and trivia, um, but most of the time, the kids would just talk about how horrible their parents were to them. And I got so many firsthand accounts of the trauma that these children were going through on a daily basis. And, of course, I wasn't equipped to handle that or anything. I mean, we did our best trying to console each other. Um, but, you know, a lot of students had these problems. And just imagining how much worse everything would be if guns were introduced into the situation is, you know, it, it floors you when you realize how often that happens in this society and in our country. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of ways that we can attempt to prevent, you know, harm caused by guns. For example, gun locks. Um, if parents who have guns and have children in the house use gun locks on their guns and lock them away properly, um, then the children can't get them and can't treat them like toys, which is better than nothing. Um, but also there's the, um, the availability of guns. If somebody tries to harm themselves, more often than not, they realize after they've tried that they're happy to be alive. And typically with guns, there's no second chance. Um, in addition to that, it's, it's, as I just mentioned before, it's just too easy for children to get guns in this country. And if there's no waiting period, which is supposed to be out of convenience for people who are afraid of, you know, being attacked or something, which, like, who's, who's going to kill you in a three-day period that you need a gun? Are you serious? Just wait the three days. You know, it's, it's all too easy for, for people who are contemplating that to have um, – such a, such a readily available end because I know so many people who have, you know, experienced incredibly negative life events and have managed to find reasons to keep living. And I know some people who have, you know, attempted and not succeeded. It's incredibly disheartening when you see it around. And, you know, I'm going to go ahead and call out DeSantis right now. The don't say gay bill is only going to make that worse. Everything that that man does makes life harder for gay and trans youth, especially in the state of Florida, just so much more, so much more worse, so much harder every day, which is already just a system predicated on abusing children. Got you. Totally. And thank goodness we have a, a GSA in uh, our school and it's yeah. really, really important. Mm -hmm. Now, we wanted to ask you about this context of white supremacists, courtesy of the NRA, have been stockpiling the arms for decades, and many in the Black Lives Matter movement feel the need to do the same, to protect themselves. So we know that more guns equal more death, but many feel that this is the only option left. Yeah. What do you say to those black youth, to those communities who want to do something like training with assault rifles. Yeah, I think that as a I think that as a white passing person and I've thought about this, I don't think I have 
any right to make any claim over what any black person in this country might want to do to make themselves feel more safe. In, um, in response to the question, which is of course an incredibly important question, I would say that white supremacists need to sit the down and get the over themselves. They need to realize that nobody's coming to take their guns. Everything that they do is endangering everybody they know. And all they wanna do is commit mass murder. And if the police in this country cared more about legitimately maintaining peace and preventing terrorism, they would look internally, even at themselves, as opposed to killing black people and making black people feel like they need guns in order to prevent you know, mass murder in their communities, as we've seen constantly. Yeah, I, I think honestly, the reaction to a problem, if, if it's an unhealthy one, can be mitigated by preventing the problem in the first place. And boy, oh fucking boy, is the white supremacy and terrorism in this country only getting worse every day. Yeah. Given oh. the relaxing of gun laws, Mm-hmm. and the rise of violence. Where do you see hope for bringing an end to this cycle? How, do you have hope? I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I have hope, but I also don't know if I don't have hope. You know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I can see very clearly 20 different situations in regards to this all happening at the same time. I can imagine you know, nothing changing forever. I can imagine something's changing and it's still terrible. I can imagine everything changing and it's a utopia all of a sudden, you know. But boy, do I hope for that? Of course, of course I hope for that. I have so much hope in my heart that we, the members of this society, can maintain a, a good place to live for the future and for ourselves and prevent bad things when we see bad things from happening. But do I realistically think it's going to happen anytime soon? Not really. It very much depends on us, you know. The way things are currently, indicating that there needs to be a change, the way things are currently, I I don't think there's going to be an immediate change or anything like that. But I do think that we could make positive change. It's clearly within our grasp, you know, and possible. But do I think that it's very likely as of right now? Eh, not, not so much. Unless, unless everybody, all at once, yells at Congress in this country. Why not? Let's try it. Let's see what we can right. do. Hey, Congress. Trick is not to lose hope in the face of all. Exactly. This. Exactly. Yeah. You know, because they can. There could. We still deserve good things, and there's still the potentiality for good things to happen just a question of whether or not you know we can we can help make them happen we can help make the people who can make them happen make them happen etc yeah very well said so impressive that young people are even more energized than i've realized yeah as i've been getting older you know i'm from the 60s so there was that energy there and yeah i am seeing it again unfortunately for some of the same things i was yeah. fighting against. Mm-hmm. but seeing it gives me hope yeah and having young people such as yourself uh makes me very happy yeah i'm really really happy to see all of my peers getting together the way that they do 
You know, there's so many people that I met at school and college who were like, hey, you did the March for Our Lives, right? I held a sibling march in my area. You know, I I was the one who made it happen. And I was like, and we go to school together? You're uh. so cool. <laughs> so there's there's a lot more people like that than you'd expect, actually. <laughs> right. Well, I I don't know if Sarah was there, but I was at the march and I saw you speak and I was silent with you. And that was an incredibly powerful, powerful statement in and of itself. Being quiet for a change is a statement. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I agree. It was trippy. <laughs> it was brilliant. It was creative. It was Thank from you. the heart and it moved us. It moved the hell out of us. I want you to know. Yeah, no, we just gotta, we just gotta tell it like it is. So, you know, we, we have to end the interview. We say thank you so, so, so much. I know it's flying by, but we do want to know, is there anything else that you'd like to say before we have to go? Yes. If you are interested in helping the gun violence prevention and, um, violence intervention program coalitions um, look up all of the places in your area all the organizations in your area to help locally but if you also want to help nationally look at march for our lives and any of the other gun violence prevention organizations that you might feel connected to but also if you're interested in what i said about the don't say gay bill look towards equality florida and donate to them in their fight against desantis and the don't say gay bill and all of the really really that he's doing and vote against go yeah. vote against DeSantis in this election if you live in Florida. For the love of God, please. Yeah. All right. It's time Thank to you. say goodbye. Thank you so much for being with us today, Libby X. And uh, this is Sarah Lilly for uh, Radio Gag WBAI. So thank you, guys. Thank you. That was good. You're listening to WBAI 99.5 FM Free Speech Radio. This is Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun Show, with our special today, Activism, Back to School Edition. You can hear us on WBAI on Tuesdays at 2.30 p.m. or on your favorite podcast platform. And today we have a special gift when you become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag at the $15 level. We will send you as a thank you gift a two-book set with a copy of Grace Will Lead Us Home by Pulitzer Prize winning author Jennifer Barry Haas and a copy of Whose Right Is It? The Second Amendment and the Fight Over Guns by Hannah Baramovic. These books are a great gift for a teacher that would be welcome on the shelves of any school library. Please go to give to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950. And if you prefer, you can make a one-time donation of $60 and receive both books as a premium. Go to give to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950. <laughs> Good afternoon, listeners. I'm so excited. We have author Wendy Jones from Ida Bell Publishing here to tell us about the two books that we're going to offer you as a thank you gift when you become a WBAI buddy today. They're also available as a premium. Wendy, thank you for being with us. Tell us about the books. Well, the first one is An Extraordinary Life, Josephine E. Jones. And Josephine E. Jones was born in 1920, the year white women got the vote. Born in South Carolina, she came to New York City in 1946 to work as a cook in private homes. 
1967, she became probably the first black woman in management at a Fortune 500 company. In addition, in her Harlem neighborhood, she was the person who helped all the community members clean up a previously drug-saturated block. And finally, when her marriage broke up, she worked three jobs to send her daughter to the best schools that she could find that had the best education available. And that daughter was me. So this woman battled racism, sexism, and classism, and she did it with grace and style. And she made sure that she helped everybody she possibly could. And the second book, The Culinary Art Portfolio of Josephine E. Jones, focuses on her work. Now, she was the head of the Employees Cafeteria at Standard Brands. Remember Chase and Sanborn Coffee, Royal Gelatin, Planters Peanuts? All right. She wasn't just an administrator. She was also an artist. So she made fruits and, and salads that were so beautiful, people did not want to eat them because they look like pictures. And you can have this very book. In fact, you can put the pictures on your wall and the stories about each of the culinary art pieces. And it will inspire you to have artistic meals of your own and enjoy the, the kind of joy, the pleasure that you get from looking at art. So please call 212-209-2950 or go to give to the number two, WBAI.org and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gab. Thank you very much for $15 a month. Thank you so much, Wendy Jones. Uh, we look forward to giving these beautiful books and this inspiration to people who call to become a, uh, a uh, BAI buddy. So thanks very much. And um, callers, now it's your turn. We need your pledges to stay on the air and bring you this gun violence prevention news. That was our good friend, Wendy Jones, an independent publisher of Ida Bell Publications, who has those two books uh, available to you uh, if you become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag at the $15 level. It's almost time to end our show, so I do want to thank Libby Edwards, who contributed so much to the show, especially for bringing us the interview with X Gonzalez today. X Gonzalez. Well, we had X Gonzalez, and then... Yeah, Abby Clements from uh, Sandy Hook, uh, actually from Newtown, Connecticut, and then that was Wendy Jones from Idabel Publishing. So, listeners, we've got so many gifts for you today. You have to call 212-209-2950. Now, you can also get involved with Radio Gag. Um, you can go to gaysagainstguns.net. You can find out about our meetings. We meet once a month on a Thursday. But we're going to close out the show now and ask you to become a BAI buddy. $15 a month. You can choose your premium. You will get the two books on gun laws, um, whose right is it, the fight over the Second Amendment. Or uh, Jennifer, well, let's me see. I'm going to say, and in that set, there is Jennifer Barry Haw's book, Grace Will Leave Us Home. Or you can get uh, the books from Wendy Jones uh, about um, Josephine E. Jones and her culinary portfolio. So please call 209-2950 or go to give to WBAI.org and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag.
All right. Well, I guess that's our time. Thanks for um, listening. And we will give you an update because one of the big things we're planning this year is the DC Vigil. It's going to be the 10-year marker of Sandy Hook. So it'll be the 10th annual national vigil for all victims of gun violence. It'll be held in person in DC December 7th. Um, and we're going to be following up and joining on that this year. But other than that, thank you for listening and have a great and safe day.